Good morning, Maricopa Springs. How are you guys doing today? It is a blessing and wonderful to be here with you guys uh, today. Uh, so thank you for joining us. And if you're new here, we want to extend a warm welcome to you as well. We are glad that you're able to come. For those that don't know, like uh, Gabe had mentioned, I am RJ. I'm the youth pastor here. And I will be covering for Grady as uh, he is away this week. And I'm excited. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles on the welcome table back there. You are welcome to go and grab that. And if you don't own a Bible, please take it home. It will be our gift to you. Um, we also have um, Operation Christmas Child donations that we're collecting. Uh, I don't know exactly what week we're on, uh, but if you go on the app, I know there's information on there, and you can see, and I think it's in the email as well. So you can see what we're collecting this week. Uh, so keep in mind of that, and uh, we appreciate all the donations that we've received already. Uh, with that, uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be uh, looking at verses 13 through 18. I'm sorry, through 17. And before we begin, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for blessing us with uh, the ability to come together to learn of your word. I pray that we would hear from you today as we uh, read what you have for us. Open our hearts that we would uh, be ready to listen to what you have to say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and read through the text, and then we will get started. Uh, it says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So if you remember last week, uh, Leonard went over uh, the verses talking about, if you desire to see good days, uh, these are the things you should do. And he gave us uh, some helpful reminders with his three Ps to understand what he was going through to see what some true marks of Christians are. If you remember, those were protect, pivot, and pursue. Uh, he talked about protecting our tongue from evil, which he connected to our hearts because ultimately what we speak is what comes from our hearts. We are to pivot from evil and we are to pursue peace. And in those, uh, those verses, we're, we were seeing how Peter is setting up what it looks like to have a righteous life. And really, through all of 1 Peter, we have seen that. What does it look like to have a righteous life? And now as we get into verse 13, we start seeing uh, this bridge that connects with how living a righteous life and suffering coincide. So in that first, uh, well, in verse 13, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
That word zealous, the definition there, is showing great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. Now, an easy way for me to give an example of what that looks like uh, is to think of fandom. If you've ever been to a sporting event, a concert, or just know someone that's really passionate about those things, uh, you will see that they will do some crazy things. My, my uncle is a big Steelers fan, and uh, they used to, their stadium used to be sponsored by Heinz uh, Ketchup. And so he was very zealous for the Steelers, and so he could only ever eat Heinz Ketchup. Nothing else would do. He was very zealous for that. But you even see, like, when you go to stadiums, you'll see people dressed up in crazy ways that they would never do in everyday life because they're very passionate about their team. If they're a big fan of a band, they will make sure they go to all the concerts, they'll wear the t-shirts, the whatever it is. That is the way we should be with what is good. It doesn't matter what people are going to think of us. We don't worry about what we look like. We are passionate about it, and we are going to do what is good. And when we do what is good, who is there to harm us? Peter showed us how to pursue good. He told us, uh, we saw that he told us to be holy as God is holy, to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He taught us how to be submissive to authority, even when that authority is not good, how wives and husbands should treat one another. These are the things that we should uh, chase after to do what is good. And when we do those things, who is there to harm us? Who is going to hurt us? Think about it like this. If you are driving on the road, who is going to get pulled over for not speeding? If you're following the speed limit and a cop pulls behind you, they're never going to pull you over to give you a ticket for speeding. If you're at work and you're a good worker and you're honest and you do what you're told to do, who's going to fire you? We are to do what is right. We are to be honest, trustworthy, and patient. And then it will be hard for people to do harm against us. They might want to do harm against us, but they will find trouble in doing it. I have a friend who, at his job, his boss does not like him. But he is a very good worker, and so his boss cannot find a reason to fire him. And he's been trying, but he cannot. And so we should do what is good. But as we see in verse 14, we do live in a real world, and we understand that persecution can come, even if we are doing good. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. You can do everything right, and you can still face persecution in this world. They hated Jesus first. Jesus himself told us that, right? The world hated Jesus first. And if they hated Jesus and you're following after Jesus, they're going to hate you as well. But we can take comfort knowing that Jesus went through it first. We're not in it alone. He is with us. 
And it tells us when we suffer that we are blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Our culture kind of has a distorted view of what a blessing is. Uh, generally, when someone says that they're blessed, they're talking about material possessions. Or if, if you're on social media, you'll see they go on a nice vacation. Oh, I'm so blessed. Look at this awesome house I just got. I'm so blessed. Everything is about material. What did I get? But we know, as Leonard had mentioned last week, the Old Testament we see that the blessings of God were very visible in material possessions. But in the New Testament, the times that we are in, we see that it's very much a spiritual thing. But to understand what it means to be blessed and how we suffer, how we can be blessed through suffering, it's helpful to understand what that word blessed really means. And I think the best way to sum it up is to understand that to be blessed is to have the favor of God upon you. It is not to have uh, abundance in uh, possessions. It's not to be happy all the time, but to have the favor of God upon you. And ultimately, that's all we really need. But we have a loving Father who gives to us abundantly. And he gives us blessings beyond just showing us his favor. But to, I want to look at that idea of having God's favor upon us to help you kind of relate to that, to truly understand what it is. It's kind of like a relationship between earthly fathers and children. You see, when my kids do something wrong and I express my disappointment to them, they want to hide in shame. They will look like they are scared, they will hide their face, and they don't want anything to do with what I'm talking about because they're embarrassed. However, when they do something that is good, when they do something that they are proud of and they want me to be proud of too, they come up to me and they're like, look, Dad, look at what I did. And if you want to see the biggest smile on your kids' faces, tell them that you're proud of them and what they have done when they have done good. And they will enjoy that. And that is what it is like when God shows his favor to us. We experience that joy of seeing God proud of what we have done. And as a father that is able to see this on my kids' faces when I tell them that I am proud of them, I know that God feels a joy to be able to show favor upon us. But that hasn't really answered the question of how can we be blessed when uh, we are persecuted, other than we know that God has his favor upon us. So turn to Matthew 5. We're going to look at the Beatitudes real quick. And here we will see some of the abundant blessings that God has granted to us. Starting in verse 3, we see, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now here's where it really ties in with what we're talking about. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for their reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we face trials and persecutions, we are told that we should rejoice in that. We have a blessing through those things. Uh, I have a quote that I found from a man named Richard Wormbrand. You might know him, or know his name, rather. Uh, he was a prisoner uh, in Romania um, during a communist regime. And he spoke out against the communists, and he said, God is the only one we should worship. And so he was imprisoned uh, in total for about 14 years, and he was beaten brutally. And what he said was, it was strictly forbidden to preach to the other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing that received a severe beating. A number, of, a number of us decided to pay the price for this privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Could we say that if we were going through the same thing? That, yeah, we were happy because we, uh, we had the opportunity to preach. We might have been beaten, but we had the opportunity to preach. But we see this throughout Scripture. When you look at Acts, you see that they rejoiced when they were beaten. When you look at martyrs and uh, those that were persecuted um, throughout history, they have rejoiced in their beatings. Not because they're happy about what they experience, but because they were counted worthy to suffer with Christ. You see, Christ is our example in this. We talked about this a few weeks ago, so you can, if you're back in 1 Peter, you can go back to chapter 2. Starting in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. Uh, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christ showed us what it looks like to suffer. We know he lived a perfect life. You want to talk about being zealous for good, Jesus was zealous for good. And what was the payment that he received for that? He was beaten, he was reviled, he was crucified on the cross. And so he set an example for us that we can walk in, that we do not have to fear, as it says, 
in verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Caitlin read it in Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, verse uh, 1 through 5, uh, it says, The Lord is the, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? For the Lord is, my strong, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And so when you're going through these uh, tough times. I mean, really, here in America, we don't really understand persecution like our brothers and sisters around the world. I mean, really, we the worst persecution we might face is someone calling us names. Uh, maybe we might risk losing a job or friendships. That's generally what we face here in America. That could change, but right now, that's what we face. But we know that when we are going through persecutions, that we have our rock, the Father, who will take care of us. We just had our crux retreat a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things we talked about was how we can love God with all of our strength. And really what that is, is it's not our strength. It is we're trusting in the strength of God. And the example that I gave in that was that it's like a child who is scared of something just clinging as tight as they can to their parent. If you've ever had a child do that to you, you know that it is hard to get them off because they're clinging on with all the might that they have because they trust that their parent will take care of them and will save them from the day of trouble. And that is what we should do with Christ because the reality is, is we cannot do this on our own. You might be thinking about that, like, man, how could I endure beatings how could I endure imprisonment I, I can't do that and you're right that you can't but through Christ you can and so we don't have to fear them because our God is so much bigger than anything that we could face here it says in Hebrews that Christ endured the cross for the joy that was set before him we can endure trials and tribulations and persecutions because of the joy that we have set before us of, of God. And if Christ has done it and he has promised us that we will face uh, trials as well, we can take comfort in knowing that he has done it and that we should live a life that could lead to persecution because we are zealous for good. So as we continue on, in 1 Peter, we see in verse 15 that it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. First off, we're seeing that we should honor Christ as holy and as Lord. 
It doesn't matter what we face because God is, is bigger than everything. We talked about that. But like Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body. But fear the one that can kill the body and the soul. We should honor Christ as Lord. We should understand that it doesn't matter who our enemies are, that God is bigger, and he is worthy of enduring the suffering for. And then as you go through these situations, these persecutions, these trials, and you are zealous for good, what's going to happen is people are going to look at your life and they're going to say, why are you happy? Why do you have joy? What is it different about you that you can endure these things and still praise, praise God? And when they do those, when they ask that question, we should be prepared to answer that question. It's not the pastor's job, the elder's job, uh, the, the ministry leader's job to answer that question for you. You should know why you are a follower of Christ. Do you know why you're a follower, follower of Christ? I, my job entails a little bit of sales work. And because of that, it's very important for us to make connections with people. So they teach us to have what they call an elevator intro. It's a 30-second intro to say, this is what I do. So I can say, I'm in water treatment. I take care of coolant towers and boilers, treated for scale corrosion inhibitor, I'm sorry, scale corrosion and bacteria. So that way it prevents these things from happening. Systems are efficient. People are healthy. Real quick and easy, right? Now you know a little bit about that. Well, we should have something already prepared to know why we have a, a hope in Christ. But it's not because we just rehearse this. We're like, okay, we got to know. Okay, if someone asks me this, this is my rehearsal. This is what I'm going to say. But it's because you know Christ. You spend time with him. You read his word. You fellowship with his, with his children. So that it's easy when someone asks you, why are you a Christian? You can say, because I love Jesus. He's everything. Even the blind man that we see in John 9 is able to give a reason for why he follows Jesus. If you don't know that story off the top of your head, there's a man who's blind from birth. Christ makes some mud, puts it on his eyes, says, go wash in the pool. And he goes and does that, and he's able to see. And so he's interrogated by the, the Pharisees. And they keep asking him over and over again what happened, and he keeps telling them, and then he gets to the point, he's like, look, I've already told you. Do you want to be his disciple? Is that why you want to know? And they say that he's a sinner. And he responds, I don't know about that, but what I do know is once I was blind, but now I am able to see. And their argument continues on, and they say he's not from God. And this man, who doesn't really know Jesus yet, is able to say, look, 
we know that if somebody is not from God, he could do nothing. And so this man must be from God. This is a man who hasn't even found out from Jesus that Jesus is the Messiah yet, and yet he's already giving a defense. So what is our excuse? Those of us that have followed for years to not have a reason for why we follow. And he continues on to say to do it with gentleness and respect. I think this can easily be summed up by saying, don't be a jerk. Do it with humility. Really, that's the idea there, is to to do it with meekness and humility. It does not mean don't tell the truth. It does not mean you cannot say the hard things. In fact, you should say the hard things. But you should do it in a way that is gentle. Share the truth, be firm, but be gentle. Don't be arrogant with it. It can be easy when you know a lot to share that in an arrogant way, but that's not the way that we should do it. If they're going to hate you, let them hate you because you are telling them the truth of Jesus, that you are giving them the gospel and not because of the way you are saying it. Let them hate you for righteousness' sake. Verse 16, it says, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Be zealous for good so that you can have a clear conscience. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing and do another. So that way when people come up and they say things against you, what they are saying is just false accusations. When they have false accusations against you, ultimately they are going to be the ones that are shamed. They may not be shamed here on earth, but when they stand before the judgment seat, they will be shamed. And so we should be zealous for good so that way we can be blessed through persecution, so that way we can have an answer to the hope that is within us. And so that way, people that revile us can be put to shame. In the last verse here, it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, there's, we see two choices here. You're going to suffer. So the question is, are you going to suffer for good or are you going to suffer for evil? And Peter is saying that it's better to suffer for good. It's better to lose a job because you did what was right than to suffer for evil. It's better to lose friends and family. It's better to be cold, hungry, homeless, imprisoned, hated, despised. It's better to experience being beaten for doing what is right than to avoid all of these tragedies by doing evil. But there's something important I want you to notice here. We don't just suffer for doing good for no reason. 
If you notice in between there, it says, if that should be God's will. Oftentimes when we suffer, I'll hear, or when anyone suffers, I'll hear people say things like, oh man, the enemy is really attacking me today. And it'll be something silly, like they forgot to eat breakfast and so they're hungry at lunch. But that's their go-to for everything is, oh, the enemy is attacking. It's, it's man, I'm, I'm really feeling the weight of, of the enemy. But even if it is the enemy, the reality is, is that they're just a tool for God. We believe that God is sovereign. That means he's in control of everything. And so if we suffer... It is God's will. There's another good quote by Richard, Richard Wormbrand that I found uh, that helps understand this. It says, he said, even the best Christians are troubled by the question, why does an almighty God send or at least allow suffering? When you are nagged by thoughts like this, say to yourself, I am still in elementary school. When I graduate from the University of Christian Life, I will understand his ways better, and doubts will cease. We can't claim to know why God allows any particular suffering that we endure, but we can rejoice in it knowing that God is all-loving, all-wise. He loves us more than we can even understand. He knows the best outcomes and he knows the best ways to achieve those outcomes. And so we can trust, just as we read in uh, chapter 2, we can trust in God, knowing that he has a plan through it all. If you remember when we were going through Genesis, we looked at the life of Joseph. And Joseph's brothers were worried that after all the evil they did to their brother, that he was going to persecute them that he was going to get his revenge on them after their father had died. And so they came up with this plan where they're like, okay, we got to go and we got to grovel at his feet so that he won't do any harm to us. And this is in Genesis 50. And what we see happen is Joseph says, look, what you did, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Like I said, our enemies are simply a tool in God's refining fire to achieve the best outcomes in our life, to make us holy, to make us righteous. And we also know that when we suffer, that we are closer to God than any moment that we have on, on earth because we get to fully feel the comfort. Remember the Beatitudes and when we looked at it? There wasn't a lot of positive things for the blessed, right? It was blessed are the poor in spirit, those that mourn. Those are things that we think of like, oh, that's not fun. Why would I want to go through that? But when you go through mourning, when you go through understanding that you are weak without Christ, then you are close to him. And then you are able to endure when you know that it is God's will for you to go through the suffering, you can rejoice 
because you can say my God is great and he knows better than me and this is the best thing for me. And Jesus suffered for our sake. Christ knew what he would endure when he came. Christ knew that he was going to be beaten, that he was going to be reviled, he was going to be mocked, he was going to be crucified. We're going through that uh, in Crux on Tuesdays. We're looking at the trial of Jesus right now. And what it keeps saying before the sessions is, Jesus knowing this was going to happen, and then it explains what happened. Jesus knew, and yet he was faithful to the end. He endured because of the joy set before him, being our salvation. So let us suffer for good like Christ. Let us not shy away from the hurt and the pain. Let us rejoice through it. And let us walk in the example that Christ has set for us. Let's pray. Father, what a holy and righteous God you are. How wise and how loving you are. And we thank you that we can endure trial and tribulation because you have done it and you are walking with us through it. We thank you that you love us enough to refine us, to make us holy, that you don't just leave us in the mire, in the mud, in the disgusting sin that is in our lives. Lord, we love you. I pray that you would... uh, Encourage us as we walk through life to endure suffering and that we would turn to you and cling to you, our, the author and finisher of our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.